0: Here listen to the Jewel City Podcast. To help us spread the gospel of Jesus, give us a five-star rating. That'll help others find this podcast. In this podcast, we're diving into the Book of Revelations with Lynn Cleland. Good to see everybody out tonight. It's exciting. If you don't have uh, a couple gentlemen, we're passing out slides that we'll be going over tonight. If you don't have one, they have extras, just raise your hand. And they'll kind of look around and see who you are and give, make sure you have one. The other thing I want to do, we're getting into some uh, little more complicated, if you will, parts of Revelation. Um, so as a result, I'm going to try to give myself as much time as possible. So if you have questions, instead of having questions at the end of my discussion, write them down. First thing next week, that's my plan. I'll answer your questions, if I can, to the best of my ability. So questions, write them down at the end. Uh, You can give them to me after we leave here, if you see me, or just wait till next week. Um, Then I won't be able to answer them until the following week. So what have we discussed so far? So last week we discussed God's judgment on man, on the unbelievers, both Jews and the Gentiles. And during that judgment period those judgments will cause men to repent. They'll see the error of their ways because of the judgments that's come up on the earth. So as a result, they'll repent. They'll either by the word, discussing the word, reading the word, they'll repent of their sins, turn in their ways and turn to God. The other thing that we seen last week was 144,000. Does everybody remember those? 12,000 from each 12 tribes of Israel, 144,000. So God is in a sense, church, he's throwing the kitchen sink through this tribulation period at man. He's causing judgment to come upon them as a result, they're turning. Some are still, hey, I don't care, I don't care what I'm seeing. And then he's bringing these witnesses, this 144,000 witnesses to preach to man upon the earth. Now, tonight, we'll get into chapter, beginning with chapter 11, and two more witnesses are going to come on the scene, and this is, the two witnesses that are going going to come on the scene tonight is what I call mega witnesses, but before we discuss these two gentlemen, we have a temple to build, so if you would, stand to your feet, and we'll start with our opening scripture from the reading of the Word of God. In church... Uh, Try to, we're going to go through a lot of different scripture tonight. I'm going to try to show you what is meant by the symbols that we're going to see. and Remember our rules in Revelation. When we see symbols, just because they're symbols, it doesn't mean they're not real. Okay? So the first thing we do with the symbol is we try to go somewhere else in the Bible to prove what that means. If we can do that, we're good. If we can't prove what the symbol is, then we have to take it literally, that what John is saying is literally. Remember last week, the demonic beast that we seen coming from the pits of hell? So we have to take it, if we can't find that anywhere else, anything beyond that is a guess. And I'm not here to guess. I'm not going to guess. I'm going to go by just the word of God. So tonight we're going to go with Daniel chapter 9, starts with verse 24, and we'll read until the end. To verse 27. And this is what is known as Daniel's 70 weeks. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish transgression, to make an end of sin, to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Daniel has just petitioned God, God, tell me what is going to happen to my people. And God now is referring to them as thy people, not his people anymore, thy people. So the angel comes to Daniel and he says, Know therefore, in verse 25, and understand that from the going forth of the commandment, to restore and to build Jerusalem until Messiah the prince shall be 7 weeks and 3 score and 2 weeks the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times and after the 3 score and 2 weeks shall Messiah be cut off but not for himself and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary And the end thereof shall be with the flood, and to the end of the war desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation and that determined shall be poured out upon the desolate. Father God, I pray tonight, Father... That you reveal, Father, in a perfect way your word. Father, seal my lips if anything passes through them, Father, that you don't want me to say. Father, help me to reveal what I have understood you to tell me, Father, to the church that's here tonight. Father, may our understanding be applied to our hearts, Father, in such a way that we take this understanding, Father, and we spread it to the world. We prove, Father, to the world, Father, that you are God. You are the great I Am. And Daniel refers to you, God, as the Ancient of Days. And Father, we want just you tonight, Father. Help us to learn, understand. And Father, I thank you for the church that's here tonight. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. So as we begin chapter 11... John is instructed in chapter 11 at the beginning to go measure a temple. And I've got to tell you, I racked my brain on this one because some of my previous teachings didn't correspond with rebuilding of a temple. So I said to myself, God, what do you mean by this verse as we open up in chapter 11? So he took me to different parts of Daniel to help me understand what John is instructed to do by measuring of this temple. Will there be another temple, a third temple, rebuilt in Jerusalem? Two have already existed. Both of them were destroyed. The first temple was destroyed by who? The Babylonians. The second temple, destroyed by who? The Romans, 70 A.D., Jesus prophesied that that temple would be destroyed. Do we remember that? Because we, we discussed that, we read those verses. No, no stone would be on top of another. They would be all torn down, 70 AD. So I said to myself, abomination of desolation, how does that occur, church, if there's no temple? Because the Bible says that it will occur in the holy city in the holy place. If there's no temple, the abomination can't happen. So I went back to the 70 weeks of Daniel that we just read. So let's go over that and kind of pick this apart a little bit. In verse 25, the angel tells Daniel, know, therefore, and understand. And Jesus uses pretty much that same language I'll show you here in chapter 24 of Matthew that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem. Where's that at? Let's find it. Let's go to Nehemiah, the second chapter. Nehemiah, the second chapter, verses 1 through 5. Going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem. That's our starting point. In chapter 2, verse 1 of Nehemiah, it reads, And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of Anaxerxes the king. How about that? God puts a date there. Why did he do that? So we can track it. We can go back and look at these 70 weeks, add them all up. It's going to make sense to us. So he puts a date there so we can do that. That wine was before him. I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, why is thy countenance sad? Seest thou art not sick. This is nothing else but sorrow of the heart. Then I was very sore afraid and said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchers, lieth waste? And gates thereof are consumed with fire. Now listen to verse 4. Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make a request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And here's the answer in verse 5. And I said unto the king, If it please the king, if thy servants have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldst send me into Judah and to the city of my father's sepulchers, that I may build it. That's the beginning of Daniel's 70 weeks. Know, therefore, and understand the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah, the prince, shall be seven weeks. So we have 62 weeks... Because after that, there's three score and two weeks in chapter, or in verse 6, three score and two weeks is 62 plus seven. And the days, church, this is another discussion, represents years. Okay? There's parts of the Bible that will discuss that, but I don't want to go that deep tonight. So, it represents years. Each day represents a year. 62 plus 7 is 69. 69 times 7 is 483 years. If we go back to the verse I just said that had the date in it, Nehemiah, 483 years from that period of time all the way up until where Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the donkey is exactly 483 years. And then what happens right after he rides into Jerusalem? He's crucified. The Messiah is cut off. This is the exactness of God's word. The exactness of God's word. Now, there's 69 weeks that I've discussed. There's one left seven years. Where's that at? This is called a prophetic gap in prophecy, where God will discuss a period of time, and then a period of time will pass, and then it will be discussed again. So it's called a prophetic gap. Now let's look at what happens at the end of those verses that we just read. Verse 26, after the three score and two weeks, The Messiah is cut off, but not for himself. He wasn't crucified for himself. Who was he crucified for? Us. And the people of the prince, who's the prince? The Antichrist. Small p. The people were the Romans. They're the ones that crucified Jesus that shall come and destroy the city. Who destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD? The Romans. Destruction of Jerusalem. And the sanctuary. And the end thereof shall be with a flood until the end of the war and desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant. He, the prince, shall confirm this covenant with many, we're going to discuss this tonight, for one week, and in the midst of the week, three and a half years, he shall cause the sacrifice and ablation to cease because he's going to lie to the Jews. And then he's going to cause the abomination of desolation to take place in this new rebuilt temple. Now, let me stop right there. Some people say Antiochus Epiphanes, he was a king. Between Daniel's time and Jesus' time in 164 B.C. caused the abomination of desolation. What did he do? He set up an idol of Zeus in the temple and then he desecrated it with pig's blood. That happened in 164 B.C. But that can't be the abomination of desolation. Why not? Because Jesus talks about it after that occurred in Matthew 24. So what is the abomination of desolation? Well, when we turn to Matthew 24, I'm I'm setting up a stage here, church, for us to understand everything. So bear with me. When we turn to Matthew 24 and verse 15, Jesus says the same thing that Daniel says. He says, when ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet, Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. And then he says something real important right here. Whosoever readeth, let him understand. He wants you to understand this. Why? Because he's telling us later that when this happens, flee to the mountains, get out of Dodge. The worst thing that's ever going to happen in history is about to happen. Remember when he says that this event, when it takes place, for then shall be great tribulation, such as not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, ever shall be. The abomination of desolation has not occurred because if it has, the worst event in history hasn't occurred. So these things are not following. And in 70 AD, when the destruction of the Jerusalem took place, as we're going to read tonight, there was no idol set up in the the temple. There was no idol made to speak as the Antichrist will make this idol speak. And three and a half years didn't pass, and then the return of Christ takes place in the second advent. So we know now that the abomination of desolation spoken of Daniel is the same one spoken by Jesus in 2415. It was not Antiochus' Epiphanes. Do not let anybody tell you that because that then disproves the tribulation seven years. So we have seven years left of Daniel's 70 weeks. When does that occur? in Revelation. So now let's start with Revelation chapter 11. Verse 1, and there was given to me a reed like unto a rod. It was a measuring tool. During that time it was made out of bamboo. And the angel stood saying, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar, and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple, leave it out, and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall tread underfoot forty and two months, three and a half years, twelve hundred and ninety days. Verse 3, and I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days, clothed in sackcloth. How long is that? I just said it. Three and a half years. We're just going to keep hearing this. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy and have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. And when they have finished, remember that. God always allows his plan to be finished. And he says right here, when these two men are finished, when I'm done with these two men prophesying, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war Against them and shall overcome them and kill them, and their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt. And also, our Lord was crucified. When I started studying this eight years ago, I listened to others that had studied this and they read this scripture and they said to themselves, How in the world will everybody in the world know when these two men are killed lying in the street? Now we know. Technology. We can see things happen immediately as they happen anywhere in the world. You flick on the news and it'll be right there on the news. So we know now this has come to you. see how revelation reveals itself over a period of time. I may not have all the answers now, but God will give us the if you're hungry for the answers, God will give you the answers. He'll allow you to see what you studied. Awesome. Awesome. And they of the people and kindreds, verse nine and tongues and nations, shall see their dead bodies three days and a half, and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry, and shall send gifts to one another, because these two prophets tormented them and dwelt on the earth, that dwelt on the earth. And after the three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them. Hallelujah. And they stood upon their feet and great fear fell upon them, which saw them. And they heard a voice from heaven saying unto them, come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud and their enemies beheld them. And the same hour, there was a great earthquake and a 10th part of the city fell. And in the earthquake were slain men 7,000 and the remnant were affrighted. and they gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. Verse 15, the seventh trumpet sounds. Now we're through all the trumpets. We've been through the seals. The last seventh seal opens the first trumpet. The seven trumpets are now sounding. This is the last trumpet. And the seventh angel sounded, and there was great voices in heaven saying, "'The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord.'" And of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders, which sat before God on their seats, fell upon their faces, and they worshiped God, saying, We give thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken thee, thy great power, and hast reigned. And the nations were angry and they, that thy wrath had come in the time of the dead, that they should be judged. And that thou should give us reward unto the servants and the prophets and to the saints and to them that fear thy name small and great. And they should destroy them which destroy the earth. And the temple of God was opened in heaven and there were seen in his temple the ark of his testament. And there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hell. As I read that, can you not church see some of the things that we're seeing today? how it would happen in this, how people are going to celebrate. Have we not just seen that recently? How things that are not right happening in the streets, people are celebrating about that. Now, what do you think is going to happen when these two witnesses, men of God, and when it says that they're tormenting men, you know why they're being tormented? They don't want to hear the truth. They're still rebellious. You can imagine what this mob will do to them. We're we're seeing it now. This is the shadow, church. This is the shadow. These are our signs. That's why it's important to understand this book, because God's given us answers right here. When we see them out there, God gave them to us here. And then we can take this and say, listen, I want to show you this. I don't understand, why are these people doing this? They're against police, they're killing one another, they're they're looting and they're rioting. I don't understand, come here, let me show you this. Look, look, this is what they're going to do to two of God's people. So as we begin chapter 11, there's a pause between the 6th and 7th trumpet. And again, that's that parenthetical chapter. It's a chapter that's kind of dropped down into Revelation, separating the judgments that's taking place here on earth. The the time of the Gentiles is 42 months. The time of the Gentile ends, it's mentioned in the Bible, it's 42 months. And at the beginning of this, when he instructs John to rebuild the temple, he says, measure the inside of the temple courts. What's on the inside of the temple courts, the holy of holies? This represents the believers. God says, "John, only only measure that part. That's the only part that I want you to be concerned with right now. Is the believers' portion of the temple, because outside the holy of holies, the Gentiles are still going to be treading over that portion." And somebody said this. I've never been to Jerusalem. In Israel, But if you have, how many Jewish people do you see when you're walking around the temple? Are they all not just visitors mostly? Gentiles just kind of going around, looking around? The time of the Gentiles in. God said, don't measure that part of the court. So we know by this language, God's dealing with Israel right now. Okay. The abomination of desolation must occur in a rebuilt temple or else there's no way for that abomination of desolation to take place. We just discussed Daniel's 70th week. So there's a big controversy as to who the two witnesses are. John doesn't mention who they are. So in a sense, that tells me it's not that important. But I think we can kind of decipher who they are In my opinion, and I think I can prove it through some of the scriptures, it's Moses and Elijah. And here's why. Turn to the last book of the Old Testament. It's hard to move pages of the Bible with a microphone in your hand. Last book, Malachi. Malachi, chapter 4. Verse 5, 4, verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before what, church? The coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. What do we say the, the great and dreadful day of the Lord is? The great tribulation. So, Malachi here says he's sending Elijah before that. And through the descriptions of the other other, uh, parts here in verse 6, didn't Elijah have the ability to shut up the heavens from raining? Yep. What about to turn waters to blood? Who had that? Moses. So, in my opinion, which I don't think it's important, and I wouldn't argue with you because It doesn't matter, because John says it doesn't matter. He didn't give us a name. It's Moses and Elijah. At the beginning here, it talks about, in chapter 11, two witnesses, and there are two olive trees. In Zechariah chapter 4, that same language is used. And what John is saying here that these two olive trees and the two candlesticks, these two men, I mean, church, think about it. If this is Elijah and Moses, can you imagine them walking the streets of Jerusalem, prophesying, warning people about what's to take place? They are probably the two most powerful prophets in the Old Testament, to the Jews. So for them to be walking the streets of Jerusalem, again, I know you're thinking to yourself, this is craziness, this is not going to happen. Because that's what I thought. But it's in the Bible. It's right here. If you want to argue with God, if you want to say, God, I don't don't know if this is going to happen, it's right there. So the two lampstands are An indication is their light will shine very bright as they preach and prophesy during that time period. As I said earlier, God will throw the kitchen sink, if you will, through his judgments and through the the testimony of the 144,000 and these two witnesses. He's given it all he's got. Because remember, God doesn't want anyone, what's the Bible say? To perish. And so even during these times, he's going to give it all he has. Now, on the flip side of that, we're getting ready to see Satan's going to do the same thing. He's going to give it all he's got because we're going to find out Satan is going to get kicked out of heaven. How angry do you think he's going to be when that takes place? So he's going to get his people together, the Antichrist, the false prophet. And he's going to go about prophesying in the way that he wants to prophesy with his lies and his deceit to trick people into losing their soul yet again. So he's going to do essentially the same thing God's doing, just the flip side of it. So the Bible tells us that these two men are going to be immortal. They'll be immune to any type of attack that comes up on them. Until, what did the Bible say? Until God's mission is complete, they will be protected. And you know something, church, I thought of this when I read that. Do you know as a child of God, you're protected? You're protected. God, I don't care who you are in this crowd, God has a plan for you. And he will protect you until his plan is finished. I know some people, they walk around, oh, I I don't know. I don't know about me. I' Not that smart. I, I just don't know if God has a plan for me or not. God has a plan for you. He has a plan for you. And I promise you, this is a promise. If you petition God in prayer, And you say to God the Father, God, you tell me what your plan is for me. He'll tell you. He will tell you. And he will make sure that you can carry out that plan through thick and through thin. He will ensure that to happen without a doubt. Without a doubt. Why? Because he's the God of the heavens. And there's nobody that loves you like God loves you. And if you're willing to be a part of his plan, he's willing to let you be a part of his plan. He's willing to let you be a part of that plan. It says that they will have unlimited authority. So the beast that is mentioned here is interesting. It says that the beast will make war against them And kill them. The beast that is mentioned here is the beast that we're getting ready to talk about in the next two chapters. This beast is the Antichrist. He will be the individual that gets all of his power from Satan, who the Bible will call in the next chapter, the great red dragon. And Satan will then choose, as we'll see later in the next chapter, a false prophet. So what does that represent? Dragon, Satan, anti-father. Anti-Christ, anti-Christ. False prophet, anti-Holy Spirit. He's got a trinity just like God has a trinity. And guess what he's going to request and require from everybody? To be worshiped just like God. And where will he want to be worshipped? He'll set himself up in the temple and want to be worshipped. And in my opinion, that'll be the abomination of desolation. It'll be the worst thing because the definition of abomination of desolation, I wrote this down. It's an action that is wicked, vile, disgusting, and morally wrong. He will ask and require and demand that he be worshiped just like God. And we're going to see later, we're going to read it. If you don't obey what he wants you to do, you'll be killed. You will do exactly what he wants you to do. And if you don't take, I'm just going to throw this out there. If you don't take that mark, You can't buy or sell. Somebody said last week, and this just fired me up because I'd been thinking about it, and I'm just going to say it tonight. We've all seen the signs on these store doors that says, you can't come in here unless you have a mask on. That's the beginning of obedience. That's exactly what's going to happen with the Antichrist. I'm just going to say it like it is. He's going to say, if you don't take this mark that I'm about to give you, you can't buy or sell. How many people obeyed what they required them to do? It was easy. It was easy. They put a sign up and everybody did exactly what the sign said. If it was that easy for that, it'll be easy for the Antichrist to get you to do what he wants you to do. And as soon as you do it, you've just lost your salvation completely because the Bible says that's what's going to happen. These church are the shadows that Jesus talked about in Matthew 24. They're the birth pains. They start small, and then they start getting worse and worse and worse. God's showing us this stuff, church. So if we know this, we know what's happening there. Makes sense. Hmm. The scripture here in chapter 11 says the world is barbaric, and they'll give the two... the two witnesses an animal's burial in the streets of Jerusalem. They won't even bury him. They'll just leave him lay there. Can we see that happening? Yeah, we can see it happening. i seeing it now. Yeah. In verse 8, it says that the holy city is referred to as Sodom and Egypt. It's because during this time period... Jerusalem will still be practicing idolatry and sexual immorality. Exactly what both these cities were known for. So that's why they're being referred to here as Sodom and Egypt. I alluded to this earlier, but can't you just see when these two men are laying in the street, everybody just out there just whooping it up. Bible says they're going to be sending gifts to each other. Just whoo hey, these two men that's been torturing us been prophesying, telling us about God, dead. They're dead. We killed them right there. They are. Cameras are on them, showing them laying right there in the streets. We've got them toward stuff burning around them. You know, things are on fire all around them. Camera crews are there. We know which camera crews will be there. We don't have to guess. They'll be filming all of this. mocking God in the process. But then the scripture says, the spirit of God brings them to life. And I wrote here, can you see that? I can see some of the networks. We know which ones they are. Take the cameras down as they're resurrected. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine those cameras being focused on those two guys? All of a sudden God says, come on up here, Moses and Elijah or whoever their names are. I don't, I don't know who they are. Come on up here. Oh my goodness. Look at that. Yeah. Turn that off. Let's switch those cameras off. Let's go on to something else. Did you guys hear the score of the football game last night? That's what's going to happen. So we read the second woe trumpet is connected to the sixth trumpet. So two woes have passed. So the earthquake here that's mentioned in the scripture is only limited to Jerusalem. Remember when Christ was crucified, what took place? An earthquake. It says 7,000 men indicates the ones that got in line with the Antichrist and the attempted killing of the two witnesses. I think 7,000 men, because the Bible says 7,000 men will be killed as a result. And I do believe it will be the individuals, that mob, that riotous group that helped the Antichrist kill those two witnesses, they'll be killed. So when the seventh angel, this is interesting, starting in verse 15 of chapter 11, when the seventh angel's trumpet sounds, there's a little bit of encouragement here. And. Doesn't John need it? John's been watching all this, and he's like, whew, all these judgments, the two witnesses just got killed. Now God's going to give him a little bit of encouragement. And the Bible says that the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord. And that's the millennial reign. And we're going to study about this a little bit later, and we'll put all this together for you. That's the millennial kingdom. And you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute, that didn't happen until later in Revelation but it's almost like this. I want to compare it to we're almost up on an election. Even before an election night, the candidate that looks like they're going to win, they're all excited. They haven't been installed yet as the official candidate, but they're all excited because they know they're going to win. That's exactly what's taking place right here. Heaven is excited Because they know victory's coming. The kingdom's getting ready to be established. So heaven's celebrating. The four and 20 elders, what do they start doing again? Bowing down. The four beasts, bowing down. Because they know this is getting ready to happen. It's not official yet. The candidate hasn't been sworn in. He's coming. He's coming. Jesus is coming. And and heaven is celebrating. There was a period of time we talked about last week where there was silence. Not anymore. Here comes that praise back in heaven. And church, I felt this this morning. You know where the the Bible says, I almost opened up with this. You know when the Bible says, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. I want to do that right now. I don't want to have to wait until God tells me I got to do it. I want to do it right now. My knees want to be well lubricated when it comes time to, to meet with God. I don't want it to be strange. I don't want God to say, Lynn, it's now time for you to take a knee because I told you you had to take a knee and it's time for you to confess. I, don't want, to, I want to do it before he even tells me. I want to do it right here, right here. When, when, when Carrie and the, and the praise and worship team's up here, I want to be right here. I want to be doing it right here. So when I get before God, I'll say, God, I'm used to this. (laughs) No problem here. I'm down on my knees. You you get any crowns you give me? Here, you can have those too. I don't deserve them. You can have them. Praise the Lord. My dad always used to say this. I remembered this. My dad always used to say this before he passed away. He said, son, heaven's not going to change you. What do you mean by that? He said, just because you walk across that threshold into heaven doesn't make you the person. You've got to be the person before you walk into heaven. It, nothing magical happens, church, when we walk into heaven. You've got to be the person before you walk into heaven. So we've got to be on with our praise and worship. Scotty, Indy, don't be afraid of praise and worship. No, if it, if it, if it don't, don't think that it looks a little strange to say, it don't look strange to God. It doesn't look strange to these 24 elders or the four beasts. They don't have a problem with it. They do it all the time. Every time there's a celebration, Hey, here we go. We're going to start praising again. That's, that should be us church. Where are we showing our appreciation? We're showing more appreciation to that new car we're driving out there. Come on. Come on. Or a new house we just bought. We don't have a problem worshiping that. Uh, let's clean this up. I like this over here. I like it a certain way like this. We come in here. Oh, <laughs> well, good. Thanks, God. Thanks for everything you've done for me. Where's our praise and worship? Be ready. Be ready here When we get there, we'll be experts. We'll be pros at this. Give it to the Lord. He deserves it. Give him a hand clap of praise. Give him a a hand clap of praise. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise him. Praise him. Look what he's done for us, church. He died for us. He died for us. Praise God. And then there says, uh, it says in chapter 11, there was great, Voices and as I mentioned earlier, the termination of evil is almost complete. There's a time of joy in heaven. They're starting to realize what's getting ready to take place. So they're celebrating. And then it says that He shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces. Man, I wish it's 650. In Revelation 19, 15, this is when Jesus comes riding in on his white horse. It says, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations and shall rule them with what, church? A rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of the Almighty God. We're going to take a look into Daniel Daniel's going to show us what Jesus does there. He's going to show us that that rock that's cut out of a mountain that I'm going to talk about is going to smash the pieces, all these kingdoms that's ever existed. All this evil, sinful thing that man has ever done. When Jesus Christ's kingdom comes, it's going to smash those kingdoms. And it'll be an eternal kingdom that shall never go away. And it will be ruled by an everlasting, eternal king, a righteous king, a just king, King Jesus. It's not going to be ruled by a Democrat. It's not going to be ruled by a Republican or a president. It'll be King Jesus in charge of this government. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. the 24 elders, they're worshiping because they remember what Jesus prayed, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It says at the end of chapter 11 that the nations were angry and man will be angry at that point because man has always said that this stuff that we read about in this book is hogwash. It's a fable. I heard one guy say one time, it's a good book. It's a good story. And so when this wrath, when these judgments start happening, man's going to be mad. Do you know why he's going to be mad? Man hates to be wrong. And when he realizes he's wrong, he'll still rebel and he still won't believe what's happening. Aren't we seeing that today? No matter what is right, it's wrong to them. It talks about judging the dead. So in the end, when we get to the end of Revelation, God is going to judge the dead. It's going to be known as the great white throne judgment. And it also talks about the Old Testament prophets being judged. Just before the the thousand year reign, the Bible says that the Old Testament prophets will be raised to receive their rewards. And that's found in Daniel chapter 12. The destroyers, man and Satan. So the temple in heaven at the very end there, it just represents that God is dealing with Israel. And remember what God said about the ark and keeping his promise? He said the laws will be written on their hearts instead of the tablets. And then the lightning at the very end, it just represents there's still more judgment that's about to take place. So now we go to chapter 12, and it is 6.54. Do we go on? Do we march? Do we march, pastor? Okay. Let's go. Chapter 12, verse 1, and I was hoping I'd get through way more than this. This is good stuff, though. I love this stuff. Chapter 12, verse 1, There appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, symbolic language, church, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she being with child cried, travailing in birth, and pained to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads, ten horns, and seven crowns upon his heads. That's a wild-looking beast, symbolic language. We'll, We'll discuss that. His tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, And did cast them to the earth and the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place, place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand, two hundred and threescore days, three and a half years. And there was a war in heaven, Michael and his angels. Michael's been fighting with Satan since the beginning of time. We're going to show you some scriptures on that. They're always fighting. And they fought against the dragon and the dragon fought and his angels, but they prevailed not. Neither was their place found in heaven anymore. Hallelujah. Now, Satan, you're gone from heaven. No more are you going to walk in front of God and say, Dave Bennett, Look at that guy down there, Dave Bennett. Look what he's doing. The accuser. That's Satan. Satan's the accuser. Right now, he walks in the throne room of heaven before God and he says, Just look at Lynn down there. Look what he's up against now. Look what he's doing. Look at him, God. <laughs> I thought that was your son. That was one of your children. And you know what God says? Yeah. But the blood of my son washes away that. That's all he sees. That's the importance of the blood of Jesus. The accuser knows that his words mean nothing to God when we become children of his. Because that blood cleanses us before the eyes of God. So now the scripture says, you're out Satan. But guess where he goes? Down here. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against a dragon. Dragon fought his angels. They prevailed not. Verse 9, and the great dragon was cast out. The old serpent called the devil and Satan which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Let me add something here. This is why Satan doesn't want this book taught because you will learn what's gonna happen to him. That's why church, I can't say this enough. That's why Satan has done his job well. Nobody teaches it. That's why. Because he doesn't want you to know that he's going to be defeated. He's getting kicked out of heaven now. Eventually, he's going to get sent to his final resting place. He doesn't want you to know that. He wants you to think he's a victor. He's going to conquer. That's what he wants you to think. But he's a liar. What did he come for? Steal, kill, destroy. Destroy. And I heard a loud verse, uh, a loud voice in verse ten, saying, "In heaven, now has come salvation and strength, and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ. For the accuser, the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. That's all he does. He never stops." he accuses you day and night of everything he sees you do in front of the Lord of heavens. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb I talked about earlier. And by the word of their testimony, they confess. Don't let anybody ever tell you that when Pastor Robert offers the salvation call, the word of their testimony that they say doesn't count. It says right here, it does by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives until death. Therefore rejoice ye heavens and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea for the devil now has come down to you having great wrath because why church? Because he knows he has but a short time. I get asked this question. I'm going to throw this out there. I believe God just dropped it in my spirit. I always get asked the question. You've heard this question. Is the antichrist alive? He here now? You know what my answer is? Yeah. You know why? He's alive in every generation. You know Why? Devil's always ready. He doesn't know God's plan. What if God raptures the church before we leave here? Seven years of tribulation starts. You think Satan don't have somebody in mind? Put in charge of the Antichrist? He's alive in every generation. Think about that. He, he's not, not going to be in shock. He's not, oh my goodness, the tribulation has started. I got to find an Antichrist. Where where am I going to? He's got somebody already. And some people say Adolf Hitler might have been him. Maybe. Maybe that was somebody on standby. Satan always has somebody on standby, but he can't react until God acts. He reacts to what God does. Everything that God does, as we're reading here in this chapter, he tries to throw a wrench in his game plan. Since the beginning, God sets Adam and Eve in the garden, Gives them a perfect environment. What's Satan do? There's a wrench in the game plan. Comes and tempts Eve. He's done this since the beginning of time. This is what chapter 12 is telling us. Chapter 12, John is reminding the churches who were the Jews and us, don't forget what Satan's been doing since the beginning of time. This is a reminder chapter, chapter. Remember when Jesus Christ was brought forth As a child, what happened, church? He tried to kill him, remember? Remember Herod? Sent out a decree to kill all the babies? Because Satan knew he was trying to thwart the plan. He's been doing it since the beginning of time. And he's going to do it in the end times. And when the dragon, verse 13, saw that he was cast into the earth... Who's he persecute? The woman which brought forth the man child. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness and to her place where she is nourished for a time, a times and a half time from the face of the serpent, three and a half years. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman And the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed which keepeth the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. I'm going to stop there. It's 7.03. I'm going to explain that very quickly next week. And then we're going to get into chapter 13 which starts the discussion of the Antichrist. You're definitely wanna going to be here for that. It's going to be very, very good. Um, again, Satan's plan is to thwart God's plan. Even in end times, he's going to try to do everything he can because he knows God is trying to do something good. He will try to do something bad as a result. And he knows his time is short. Okay, that's all I have for tonight. If you have questions, again, just write them down. I'll try to... You can give them to me before I leave. If you think to write them down now, I'll try to answer them next week before I start. If not, I'll collect them and answer them the following week. Uh, I want to give a salvation call. I I don't know the hearts of everybody here, but if you just bow your head and close your eyes uh, as we uh, ask those who are here tonight, maybe uh, you came tonight and you don't have an extensive knowledge or not much knowledge of God at all but you know that after what you've heard tonight and what I've I've taught might be some proof that, that God actually exists and if he does should i accept his son and be washed with that blood that i talked about that blood that stands before between i should say you and the lord if you're here tonight And you haven't accepted Jesus, if you haven't asked him to come into your life and forgive you of your sins, if you haven't repented of the things that we've done wrong, we've all done things wrong in our life. We all are guilty. We're all guilty. If you'll slip up your hand, I'll pray with you. If you're not comfortable with slipping up your hand, maybe after church, you could grab one of us, any of us, Pastor Robert, Pastor Aaron, Pastor Kerry, ask, you to, ask them to pray with you. Father God, I thank you for your word tonight. God, I know your word's powerful. I know, Father, what you say is true. I know you're, it, what, you're, what you say, God, your word is right. And Father, I know that your word convicts us. I know that it helps us to realize when we're right and when we're wrong, Father, and when we're wrong that we should approach your throne, God, God, and, and ask you for your grace and mercy, Father, and ask to be forgiven. Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus. I thank you what he means to us, Father. I thank you for his sacrifice on the cross, God. Father, I ask you to bless this church, Father. I ask you to to cover the pastor, Father, to guide him and all of our pastors associated with this church. I thank you for the people that go to this church, Father. Father, we're here to learn. We want to know more. We want your Holy Spirit to dwell within us, Father, and to to tell us, Father, what you mean by this last book, this last great book of Revelation. Father, I just thank you for who you are. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your protection. And, Father, I pray that next week when we come back, we'll learn even more, Father. We'll be able to make ourselves better next week than we have through this week that's upcoming, Father, if it be your will. We pray through your son Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Jewel City Podcast.